0: Hello and welcome back to the Daily Bible Reading Show. Uh, I'm reading the Book of Acts today. Uh, This is going to be my first impressions, uh, looking at the Book of Acts uh, in preparation for a talk I'm giving this coming weekend. So that's the reason I do these videos, it's kind of like to give you a behind the scenes look at the preparation, um, at the painful (laughs) process that goes into preparing a talk, Uh, but it helps me as well. Uh, Sometimes uh, there are things that you're more um, careful about when you're aware that someone else is looking on. So that's the reason I do these live streams. That's the reason why I I make these videos. It's just uh, partly for myself to be as accountable as possible. And it gives me a sense of what it's like to actually give the talk rather than to do this on my own. So again, if you're just joining me, this is the Daily Bible Reading Show. And I'm looking at the book of Acts. Uh, One thing to say is I'm not sure if I do, <laughs> do the entire book of Acts. Um, I am preparing to give an overview of the entire book this coming Saturday, don't get me wrong. But uh, what I want to do is to try to walk through as much of it as possible and to make observations about it. But at the same time, I know I don't think I will be able to go through the entire book because <clears throat> I tried reading it through once. Um, just from beginning to end, and it took me about two and a half hours just reading through the entire book from beginning to end, two and a half hours. So I don't think (laughs) I want to do two and a half hours just reading it through. I actually do want to make some observations, think through some of the thoughts, formulate some of the ideas. Uh, And in order to do that, I think I won't be able to cover the entire book. But I think the thing I'm going to do is I'm just going to read this until I drop. (laughs) I'm just going to read, make some observations, and then when I get too tired, I'm going to turn off the live stream, and that's going to be the show for today. So um, yeah, so Book of Acts, we're going to try to cover as much of it as possible, make some observations, and hopefully some of it will be helpful. (laughs) Uh, Before that, I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this book um, that reveals to us the history and the birth of the church. Help us to see how this relates to our experience of church today, um, our, you know, our role in mission, um, just to appreciate even how the church has come, uh, was born out of mission and out of the gospel, and to give thanks for that. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to begin by reading just the first few verses of uh, chapter 1 of Acts. So here it begins. By the way, this is the esv bible version so acts chapter 1 verse 1 in the first book o theophilus i've dealt with all that jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the holy spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of god And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So this is the introduction uh, to the book of Acts. Uh, In the very first verse, he refers to the book that comes before Acts. He says, verse 1 in the first book, O Theophilus. And you can kind of work out what that book it is. Uh, It's the book or the gospel of Luke, which begins in a very similar manner. I think if I look to Luke Luke chapter 1, verse 3, he refers to most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus means lover of God. And so here again, it refers to the same person, O Theophilus. So uh, the author of Acts, who is the gospel writer Luke, um, uh, refers to someone called Theophilus. Um, and it might be that Theophilus was responsible for sponsoring the the book of Acts. Hello, hi, um, Pekka Bateris. Hi, hello. No, I'm not, not in Malaysia. I'm, I'm, I'm in the UK. But if you're in Malaysia, I'm really impressed that you're <laughs> watching this right now. I must be really, really late or... Early, um, I'm not sure what time it's at back home. It's like seven hours from now. It's what seven now, so it's probably like two a.m. I guess. Yeah, thank you for watching anyway. I'm going just going through the Book of Acts. Yeah, thanks for watching. And yeah, so it talks about how um, he's almost writing this, uh, having been sponsored by Theophilus, and explaining where it fits into his writing. There's the first part, and this is the second part. The first part deals with Jesus. and describes it as all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up and had given commands to the Holy Spirit. I'm just reading verses 1 and 2. But now he's picking up from there uh, by, by continuing on what Jesus is continuing to do through the book of Acts. Thank you. I really appreciate you watching that. I, I hope that this is helped for you as well. Thank you for your comment. I'm just responding to... Uh, Pekka Bateras, (laughs) interesting uh, IG tag name, and it talks about how Jesus, here in verse 3, presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs and appearing to his apostles over 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. It refers to Jesus' relationship, I guess, with the apostles, (coughs) teaching them convincing them he had to convince his own apostles and he had to even speak to them about the kingdom of god just just explaining what's going to be happening right after this and how it fits in with the cross with his death with his life and how it's going to flow from there into all the events that are going to happen in the book of acts but all this builds up to verse 4 which talks about a specific command a specific thing That Jesus is asking his apostles to do which is to wait for the Holy Spirit verse 4 after staying with them he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit and he compares the baptism with John John baptized with water but his own baptism which will happen with the Holy Spirit so in the book of Acts this holy spirit this baptism of the holy spirit this being filled with the holy spirit is something that jesus says is almost essential you know you need to have this you cannot take it as an optional thing you need to wait for it you need to receive it you need to be filled with it in order for god to use you to do the things that he wants to to do um, in well, um, building his church and, and growing the kingdom and preaching the gospel okay all right so with that being said it begins with Jesus, and it begins with the gospel, you know, Jesus dying on the cross. It continues on with Jesus building his church by doing it through the, the apostles filled with the Holy Spirit. <coughs> right, okay, let's pick up on verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Um, I remember hearing a sermon on this. Uh, Actually, it was a really good sermon. It was at Christ Church just a month ago, I think. And um, what they're doing in Christ Church, it's just a church here in Cambridge, is they're also going through the book of Acts. And I was very impressed because this was their very first sermon on the book of Acts. And what the pastor said is, we're going to hear more from the Bible than from me. (laughs) Very bold statement from a pastor who's preaching a sermon. What he said was, you're going to hear more of the Bible reading. We want to have a lot of the Bible read, every word heard during the service. And then I'll just say a little bit, just a little bit about this verse, about these verses, sorry. And I think that takes a lot of guts because you know, you're know you the pastor, you're being almost supported, being paid to preach, but your Bible reader <laughs> is going to be heard more than you who are preaching. And I think I really appreciate that because it puts an emphasis on God's Word as hearing God's Word and us taking God's Word as well, God's Word you know taking the Bible as God's Word and he did make a comment then but the one thing that he did make a point to point out <laughs> did that make sense well the one thing that he did point out um, uh, in this reading was he said verse 6 this question has almost as many theological uh, errors. I'm not sure if you said that or There were as many problems with this question as there were words in this question. (laughs) So it says, so the question is, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So the emphasis being could be, is it going to happen now? Are you going to restore the kingdom? And this kingdom is going to come come to us in Israel. So I'm just going to look at the, the comment that just came in says, I'd like you to do content about introducing God to toddler or to a, I guess, to a young kid, to a baby. Or teaching how to pray and etc. Thank you. That is such a good, good suggestion. You know, how to teach young kids the Bible. And <clears throat> um, yeah, um, just thinking about that. That's such a good question. How would you teach the Bible or introduce God? to a toddler, someone who is you know, maybe even just learning learning how to speak, you know, would they even be able to get it? But I think um, it, it's just so worth exposing the Bible to young children because, well, there are parts of the Bible that speak directly to young children. That means God wants them to hear His word. But also more so for us as adults, especially if you're a parent, if you're a Sunday school teacher, God wants us to speak the Bible, to speak his word to our children. So um, the, the question is, he'd like me to do content on this. I have to think about it. I'm, I'm not sure I've, I've done very much of this. So it's very convicting. Thank you for your question. Uh, I must admit, I am almost scared <laughs> to teach kids uh, or even just to look after young babies. Uh, but this is a challenge. Thank you for that. So I'll, I'll think about it, especially the question about how to teach uh, the Bible to young kids or teaching them how to pray, that kind of thing. Uh, I guess one thing, uh, that we could do that would be very, very natural is just to, uh, pray in front of kids, read the Bible in front of kids, you know, speak about God very openly in front of our kids. Yeah, it is, it is very hard and it's, it's quite embarrassing. Sometimes it's awkward as well. Um, in a way, you know, actually me doing this, even live stream, it's a bit easier Then say to do this in front of someone else who's actually here. So it is it is difficult. And uh, the thing about kids is, I don't know, I don't know. um, Anything can happen, right? (laughs) With adults, they're always very very, you know, polite and they know how to behave. But with kids, anything anything can happen. And um, I think again, kids learn through examples. They they learn by watching and they learn by copying. the adults are doing so if we are praying um you know oftentimes that's how they learn how to pray if we're reading the bible oftentimes that's how they learn uh what it means to read god's word you know why is mommy why is daddy reading the bible the kind of thing so i think example just exposure is one of the most natural ways to um you know teach kids about god anyway really, really good question thank you so much for that um yeah so let's pick up from verse. 7. He said to them, Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him And I think we're meant to laugh at this. And we're meant to see that this is really, really funny because you imagine the disciples, the apostles, all looking up like this. (laughs) Jesus, where did you go? They saw him go up into the sky, ascend into the heavens and the clouds hide him. So Jesus, are you coming back? You know, um, is this something that's supposed to happen? And as they're looking up, they hear the voice of these two angels going, what are you doing? (laughs) Why are you looking up? As if to say, you're so silly. You know, this is a waste of time. And what they say is, verse 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So it's talking about how Jesus will return in the same way. So yes, you should look up. He's coming in the same way. He went up to heaven. He's coming back from heaven. But it's kind of implying it's not now. (laughs) <laughs> it's not going to happen now. And so it's almost silly to go like this because there's something that you're meant to do like right now. You just go like this. There is a mission. There's a direction that Jesus has already given for you to live your life. And that's in, in verse verse 8. Jesus already has said what you're meant to do now as you wait for him to come back from heaven. Verse 8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And so there's a direction. Jerusalem, this is the capital. This is the city. Jesus says, stay here in Jerusalem. Judea is the surrounding area. And then Samaria is north of Judea, just uh, the neighboring country. But also Samaria is kind of like the half cousins of the Israelites. So they have some history together like you can think of like north and south korea so um korean you know they have a shared history but yet different enough that they're not quite the same and finally to the ends of the earth so going beyond your culture your people your your nation that kind of thing so jesus is saying you're going to stay here but through the holy spirit god is going to cause you to go out 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 jerusalem judea samaria to the ends of the earth out And out, not just from your homes, but out of your culture, out of your natural circle of friends, your natural um, ideology, your natural um, place of residence, you know, people you're used to hearing, maybe even outside of your language, to the ends of the earth. You know, this gospel will go outwards, you'll be powered by the Holy Spirit, and therefore Jesus is giving them something to do, you know, focus a mission and direction. And therefore, doing this can sometimes keep you from doing this, speaking the gospel. Okay, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were saying Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of jesus and his brothers verse 15 in those days peter stood up among the brothers the company of persons was in all about a hundred and twenty and said brothers the scripture had to be fulfilled which the holy spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of david concerning judas who became a guide to those who arrested jesus for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Uh, Verse 18, Now this man, talking about Judas, this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels, intestines, gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem that the field was called, in their own language, Akil that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let us take his office. So what's happening here is, all the disciples come back, they assemble in this room, and he names every single one of the apostles. You know, uh, Peter, John, James, Andrew, and so on. All the eleven apostles, together with uh, Jesus' mother, son of the women, and his brothers. So Jesus' family. So that's the initial group core of uh, believers. It's interesting that this includes the apostles, but also Jesus' mother and brothers. It's just worth considering that at this point, Jesus' own family have now trusted in him. You know, they, they, they believe his words. They're actually putting their faith in him uh, just um, you know, weeks after he's risen from the dead. 40 days and it shows that actually they've come a long way They've come a long way, you know, including apostles, you know, all these were people who um, Abandoned Jesus on the cross and even before that his brothers uh, and even his own mom, you know, didn't quite uh, Take Jesus at his word. They didn't quite believe him in other words, but they've come come a long way now they actually believe him they're gathering together I think in anticipation of the promise that Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. So that's the core group of believers. But in verse 15, it expands to 120. So he actually gives us the number in verse 15. The company of persons was 120. And in front of these 120 believers, uh, Peter stands up and makes a speech. You know, it says, we need to do something about replacing Judas. And uh, already it shows that Peter is taking charge. Peter has a position of leadership amongst the initial core group of believers. And Peter says that um, it's right for them to replace Judas uh, because, and then he gives us some detail about how Judas (laughs) betrayed Jesus, and then he fell headlong and his bowels all came out, and the field that he bought was the field that they buried him in, and he called the Akil Dhamma, which is a field of blood. Very, very gross <laughs> at the end of Judah. almost picturing how he was maybe judged for his betrayal. And so verse 20, his camp become desolate. Let no one dwell in it. Let another take his office. So talking about how he has been um, uh, emptied of his position. So yes, he's been killed. But the position that was given to him by Jesus has been empty because he's been killed. And therefore, someone else needs to fill that space. So that's the reason for the judgment, the reason for his death, is to remove him from this position of privilege that Jesus gave him, to be a witness for him amongst the twelve. And so Jesus, uh, Peter sorry, Peter continues on with a criteria, verse 21, so one of the men who have accompanied us, this is Peter saying, during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So there's a criteria. This man has to have lived among us while Jesus was alive. You know, been with Jesus, hung around us. You know, the time that Jesus went in and out among us. And it's from the beginning of John's ministry until the resurrection, verse twenty-two, and he must become a witness of the resurrection. So, kind of like to complete the number again, you know, there are twelve apostles, one betrayer, the betrayer is removed, and this number twelve, this full number of witnesses, representing, I guess, the full community of God's new people in Christ, needs to be filled, and what defines them is their witness of the resurrection. Verse 23, And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who's also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all, show which one of these two, Joseph and Matthias, which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from Judas, who turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, think of throwing a dice and the idea is God would affect the outcome of this chance of this dice and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles so two candidates and it's just worth remembering that uh, these two were chosen because they both they both fulfill the criteria of having been been among them been with Jesus and seen his resurrection they're both qualified and so uh, they're just stuck. You know, who do we choose? And yes, they threw a dice and the dice field on Matthias. But at the same time, they prayed. And this prayer is so insightful. Listen to the prayer again. Uh, and they prayed and said, verse 24, You, Lord, know the hearts of all, you know their the contents of their character. Show which one of these two you've, you have chosen in a place of ministry. And the question is, who are they praying to? Who are they praying to? And yes, they're praying to God. They're praying to God to reveal, you know, which one he's chosen. Of course, that's natural. The person you pray to is God. But actually, actually, what's interesting here is they're actually praying to Jesus. Because it says in verse um, verse 24, Lord, you, Lord, know our hearts. And if you look back to verse 6, it says, Lord, will you restore the kingdom? They refer to Jesus as Lord. Here they're referring to Jesus as Lord, but in prayer, they're referring to Jesus as God. Literally just moments, well, days, after Jesus has been with them in person, they're already praying to Jesus. Isn't isn't that amazing? As you think about it. <laughs> Maybe you just had dinner with someone, you just hung out with them, and you just saw them in person, and you just talked to them. You what would cause you to immediately think of them as God the very next day? And even pray to them. Hopefully, hopefully you don't do that. But they did that with Jesus. Because such were they convinced that Jesus was God. Such way they convinced that Jesus is in heaven. And such way they convinced that Jesus is, is 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 God that He knows their hearts and He can answer this prayer. And He answers it. He chooses Matthias. But the big point here, and this chapter one, if <laughs> only you look at one chapter, it took so long. Uh, I'm not sure how we're going to cover more of this, but the big idea in the first chapter here is that Jesus really is Lord. He rises up uh, from the dead, yes, in the resurrection, but here he actually rises up into heaven. And this rising up into heaven is something called the ascension, the going up, or the rising up, ascension. And it's symbolic of Jesus rising up to heaven to go to the right hand of God. It's saying that Jesus is, well... In heaven right now Jesus is ruling in heaven Jesus is hearing our prayers from heaven the way you he heard his prayer and Jesus as God as Lord at God's right hand is able to rule and answer our prayers in heaven it is not a waste my friends to pray to Jesus it is not a waste to think that uh, you know should I should I not you know pray to Jesus because the thing is Jesus is Lord and God in heaven right now. And that's what they did. They prayed to him. They trusted in him. And Jesus answered from heaven. Okay, uh, that's chapter one. Uh, let's try. Let, 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 let's try chapter two. <laughs> let's try. Uh, I don't know how long I can go because, because this is quite tiring actually. But let's let's just try for chapter two because I have a total of uh, 28 chapters. And if I don't cover some ground, then we're going to finish this. So let's try chapter two. This is Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. Mm. Fire coming down and resting on them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this is exactly what Jesus was promising. Stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He calls it in one in one part, you know, the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit. But he also calls it the baptism that he gives. That means you're being filled with the Holy Spirit. And what it looks like here is are these tongues of fire. That come down and it starts dividing up and on each one of them can imagine this fire coming down and resting on the top of each one of the believers and as they were filled with this they begin to speak when in other tongues it says there as the spirit gave them utterance so what the spirit does is allows them to speak but to speak in other tongues or other languages So um, this happens on the day of Pentecost. I'm just going to quickly Google when Pentecost is because I suspect actually Pentecost is very close to where we are now in the calendar. So Pentecost is uh, this coming Sunday. Yeah, yeah, 5th of June. So Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost, if I look at Wikipedia, (laughs) is the 50th day from Easter Sunday. So yeah, so coincidentally, you know, this coming Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. I need to make a point of saying that because I'm teaching this on Saturday. It'll be so cool. So, you know, what you're reading now is something that happens tomorrow. You know, 50 days, you count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 1, 2, 50 from the day of Jesus's, um death on the cross uh, from Easter, and it's Pentecost. And it's traditionally, I think, a time of harvest, is that right? Um, I think... Uh, so I'm looking. This I'm just looking at Wikipedia. It says, Pentecost comes from the Greek Pentekostei, meaning fiftieth. So fifty days. It refers to the Jewish festival of Shavuot, celebrated on the fifty day, fiftieth day after Passover. So it's a festival. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's 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 a celebration. It's also called the Fist. Feast of Weeks, and later on, it talks about how the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, or Shavuot, is a harvest festival. So it's the time when you imagine bringing in the first fruits or harvest that you've been planting all this while, and you start bringing it, bring in, bring, it, bring in. And I guess it's a symbolism there, isn't it? I mean, the time when things bear fruit is the time when people receive the Holy Spirit. This is almost like the fruit of. The cross, if you like. You know, what, what Jesus is doing on the cross enables people to be filled with this fruit of the Holy Spirit. I, I love that symbolism. Yeah. Okay, verse 5. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speaking, in his own language. So they were filled with the Spirit, speaking in different languages, and then a crowd gathers outside. And they were all Jews gathering for this festival. And it says there they were from actually from other parts of the world, every nation, but they are gathering in Jerusalem. Uh, verse 7, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? He gives us a list of the different languages. Uh, verse 9, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. Verse 10, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. And visitors from Rome, verse 11, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So they can actually hear their own different languages and gives us all this list of different languages. They can hear all these different languages, people praising God, talking about um, maybe events in the history of the Bible where God saved his people from things like the Exodus maybe praising god in a way that uh, we praise god when we sing hymns or we sing songs on sunday that kind of thing but the important thing is that they're speaking in different languages and these people should not be able to do that I Say, aren't these people galileans you know, these are so many different languages and presumably very difficult languages to learn and yet here there are all of them speaking them to one another and being heard by all these other people Okay, all right. Verse twelve, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, "What does this mean? What does this mean?" But others mocking said, "They're filled with new wine, meaning they're drunk. Ah, uh, they're speaking nonsense. uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> just ignore them. You know, this is this is silliness. You know, this does not make sense. So they're trying to find some way to explain something that is shocking, that's amazing, that that's that's amazed them." Uh, and some are coming up with a um, way to dismiss it, saying, these guys are drunk. Yeah. Verse 14, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. So yeah, He 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 knows that some of that are trying to explain, it with, these guys not drunk. Why? Since it's only the third hour of the day, which is third hour, um, 9, a.m., 9 a.m. So from 6 a.m., th- 1, 2, 3 hours, is 9 a.m. It's too early to be drinking at this time of the day. But, verse 16, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And the thing to notice here is that different kinds of people, young, old, sons, daughters, male, female servants. So every demographic, of age and status and gender, all of them will receive the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's not not exclusive. There's going to come a time where God will fill everyone with His knowledge, fill everyone with His Spirit. And when that happens, um, the prophet Joel says, because that's whom Peter is, you can actually read the book of Joel. Uh, This is apparently in Joel chapter 2. But this is a sign that the last days have happened. So in the last days, what's God going to do? God's going to cause everyone of his people to be filled with his spirit. And this is significant of the last days of God's judgment. Of God's judgment. This is almost like a convicting sign that, hey, God's going to judge us of our sin. It's going to be this worldwide reckoning by God. Uh, verse 19, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire. And vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So again, judgment, judgment, judgment. It talks about uh, uh, blood and fire and vapor, smoke. Terrifying pictures, blood. (laughs) Anytime you see blood. And then fire as well, a you know, disaster, but also the sun turning to darkness, the moon to blood. You know, uh, it's very apocalyptic pictures, you know, um, um, but also could be a reference to the cross. You know, the darkness of the cross could be that as well. says all this will happen before the day of the Lord. Again, referring to the last days, referring to the day of God's judgment, the day of the Lord. And it ends with this offer of salvation. In view of this judgment, of this reckoning, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will receive salvation. Verse 22, Men of Israel, hear now these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed, You've made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. So uh, he merely talks about Jesus and how Jesus, uh, God proved that Jesus was the real thing in verse 22 by works, miracles, wonders, signs. And he says, as you yourselves know. So he's appealing to what they've seen about Jesus that they know about Jesus. And what they've seen are these miracles, and what they know is that Jesus is from God. That's what he's saying. You, know, you guys know that Jesus was a real thing. You know, you should have listened to him. He was a prophet. He was God's son. He was sent from God, and he was proven to you. You guys know this. You know this. You know this. You know this but you killed him, <laughs> and that's that's that that's the turning point. Verse twenty three: This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified, you killed. You, handed, you killed by the hands of lawless men. So you knew Jesus was from God, you killed him. You knew you should have submitted to Jesus because you know, God wanted you to do this. Well, you handed him over to lawless men to be killed. But verse 24, God raised him up. And God, um, because he says it's not possible for him to be held by death. And then he quotes this, Prophecy from David, how he says that God will not abandon my soul to Hades. Verse 27, or let the Holy One see corruption. And verse 28, made him known the path of life. So that's David's prophecy of Jesus, of how he will not be held by death. Verse 29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence by the patriarch David that he both died and was buried the promise of the Holy Spirit, He was poured out this, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Sorry. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself said to the Lord, said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And if I were to summarize this, <laughs> he's essentially saying, This can be about David. You know, this can be about this prophecy that God will not allow him to remain dead but raise him up to life again. It can't be about David, because David died. You can, that's his tomb. Yeah, he's he's dead. His body is there. We dug it up. You'll find his remains there. Whatever yeah. you can you can, you can find a proof that he died. But therefore, what David was saying in this prophecy was pointing forward to Jesus. Verse thirty-two: This Jesus gone, raised up, and we are all witnesses. And the proof that he's been raised up is what you're seeing and hearing now, the Holy Spirit causing all these believers to speak the gospel in various languages So it's proof upon proof upon proof You know, you saw the proof of his life and his miracles You saw the proof of Jesus being raised from the dead. You saw proof of us now speaking in tongues through the Holy Spirit proof upon proof upon proof verse 36 Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Yeah, so it's almost saying that God elevated Jesus and glorified and appointed Jesus because of the cross. Because of his rejection and his death on the cross, therefore God made him Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Uh, it's talking it and and it's just it's just worth thinking about that because Jesus is already God you know he, he's already God's son he's already you know he he has everything with God but something happens on the cross that actually God almost adds upon Jesus' status you know Jesus was eternally God eternally God's son but on the cross God made him Lord and Christ because of his death. And that means there's something about Jesus that, that, that makes him extra qualified to be our Savior, that makes him extra qualified to be our judge even. And that's because he took our judgment upon himself. And so therefore, yes, you should praise God because he's God, praise Jesus because he's eternally God's son. But God wants us to praise Jesus specifically because of his death on the cross. That's what he's saying. You know, it's because he died that God raised him to be the Christ, is because he was betrayed, he died for our sins, he was raised from the dead, that God made him Lord and Christ. Verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord, our God, calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received this word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Makes me think of the question I got earlier. So, Tekabateras, that's his IG handle, was... In the middle of this live stream, is asking me about uh, the possibility of doing one of these live streams, uh, but targeted at children or helping parents to teach their children, or helping Sunday school te- teachers to teach children about Jesus. And here we have a promise that comes to adults that will affect their children. Uh, this is uh, verse. Where is it again? The <laughs> uh, verse thirty-nine. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. So there are two halves of this. On the one hand, it's this is a promise that God gives to everyone who calls on God. You call to him for salvation, you know, call to him as Lord, you receive this offer of eternal life. It's it's, it's amazing. Uh, Whether you're an adult, you're a kid, you call to him, God will answer you personally. That's one half. But the second half is that God calls you to himself. So you call God, but also God is calling you. And both go hand in hand. It's not all you deciding, hmm, today shall I call God or not? (laughs) As if it's up to me. Or maybe I don't feel like calling God, so, you know, I won't receive the salvation. But no, actually, it's you, but also God working through you to cause you to be called to himself. And again, the reason I mention this is because it's a promise to you but also to your children and all who are far off. There's an impact, in other words, of you answering God's call of salvation that will have a knock-on effect on your family, if that makes sense. You, know, you are worried about someone in your family, someone your know, your kids, someone else, you know, returning to Christ, you turn to Christ. The same? you know, you, you, you yourself make sure that you know God. You yourself make sure that you call out to God. And God will use that salvation, that blessing of salvation upon yourself to overflow onto others so that they will call upon him as well. And, and, and again, this is wonderful. This is such an amazing promise that Peter gives to them and Peter gives to us. Brothers, what shall we do? Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of sins I I wonder you know I wonder when was the last time we actually just heard this so simply said um, in church yes you know, so great you know if suddenly you just hear everyone you guys you know repent turn to God he will save you forgive you your sins so simple right so obvious and yet sometimes we feel need to build up to that <laughs> tell a big sermon uh, tell a very impressive sermon in order to say okay now you can repent and actually all we need to say you know, repent turn to God but also not just in, in church. You know, Sometimes when we just say this or hear this, even in God's word, put so simply, what do I need to do today, God? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to apply for this job, speak to this person, no, repent, <laughs> turn to God, receive the salvation of our sins, from our sins. And this is a promise that He gives to us that will affect the people around us, that will... Result in God's blessing upon all, all who respond to Him. Um, verse forty, and with many other words, he bore witness, continued to exhort them, saying, "Save yourselves from this crooked generation." So those who received this word were baptized, and they were added that day about three thousand souls. Uh, wow! Okay, mega church. In one one day, one sermon, 3,000 people converted. Wow, okay. It was saying that this doesn't happen a lot of times. But this does happen sometimes, especially in Acts. And it shows, again, not the impressiveness of preaching, of of Peter preaching. It's not, not man's power, but actually it's just the Holy Spirit. It's really just the Holy Spirit convicting people through the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit bringing to mind, you know, that need for repentance and God bringing people into his kingdom, 3,000 people. How wonderful it would be for this to happen again. It's the same God, same gospel, same spirit. God can do this. He doesn't need to. He doesn't always do this, but God can do this. Verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So what do they do? When you have three thousand people suddenly becoming Christians, <laughs> what do you do? You know, you start a program. Do you? Do you I don't. I don't. Know. Do you mobilize them? Do you start a teaching program? Okay, everyone should join. Uh, Philip project or do whatever. No, 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 no. You do. They devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and prayers. They became the church, and this is what defined them as the church: God's word, the apostles' teaching. God's people, fellowship and well I, I don't know, um how do you, how do you put this? Loving one another, you know, breaking of bread and prayers, you know, this is something, yes, they do towards God, but also that they do together. The breaking of bread is it's it's talking about sharing bread, you know, doing life together, in other words, you know, that's you have your meals, you know, have it together. You pray your prayers, pray it together. It's is talking about this coming together of this community of God as a response uh, of their salvation from God. I didn't put that very clearly. <laughs> but but okay, how do, how do I how do I put this clearly? Um, the gospel gives birth to the church. That's what I'm trying to say. You don't have to gather a lot of people around and then say okay, now we preach the gospel. Now 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 we can get a lot of people to come to our church. No, no, no. You preach the gospel, God will bring the church together. It's just worth thinking about that order. You preach the gospel, God will bring people into his kingdom, and the church is the result of the gospel. You want to plan a church? You want to grow your church? You want to start a Bible study? You want to start a fellowship? What do you do? Gather people, have programs, you know, organize this, make sure everyone's timing, make sure there's food. No, 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 no. You preach the gospel. People are saved. They come together and then they'll have food <laughs> no they come together as the church and then they'll do these things this, this is almost the activity of church they'll continue reading the Bible they'll continue praying they're certainly loving one another but it starts with Jesus it starts with the gospel it ends with the church verse 43 and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Um, I'm just going to end here. There's so much here that describes um, the life the ongoing activity and life of the church uh, not least um, you know, you notice the words together 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 a lot you know they had all things in common or together they, uh, they were selling their possessions and they were sharing with those in need they were together in you know plenty and in want uh, they intended they attended the temple together they ate bread together they they received it with thankful hearts and they praised god together there's a kind of togetherness uh that makes sense that makes sense as a christian that you know you're you're now reconciled to god god reconciles you together as the church and as a result god adds to the number so yes actually um you know i said earlier on you preach the gospel god will plant the church you don't need to do do all these plans but actually as you grow as the church god will your church in the gospel God added to their number day by day those who are being saved and there's it's just saying I think there's something attractive something very attractive of Christians living out their lives uh, together just 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 loving one another and being very visible in what it means for them to be Christians together I think I think that's what it's saying um, so just to recap you know, you want to grow your church, you want to grow your Bible study, you want to grow whatever it is. You know, naturally what we would think is have a program, have an activity. Acts is, Acts put it so simply. Preach the gospel and people will be saved. And as a result of their salvation, they'll be the church. That's your church planting strategy. You want to go somewhere. The first thing you need to think about is not the building. It's not even getting people around or putting some Facebook ad. Is making sure that people hear the gospel. And God will do the work of most importantly them responding to the gospel, responding to God. And the result of that is a byproduct of that salvation that the church gathers together. Now, again, you know, the life of the church is described so much in verses 42 to 47. You know, eat together, go to temple together, you know, share everything together, praise God together. There's a togetherness of that. But again, this is a result of the gospel. It's not... I guess I guess it, it is an overflow of the gospel as well. But it is, it is just what God does naturally as a result of people responding to salvation. And it's attractive because God, adding to that number day by day those who are being saved, God uses this this, this crowd, I guess, this church to attract more people to Him uh, but it 's attracting people to not just this group, but it says there are those who are being saved you know you want to want to almost be conscious that people who are coming to our church are actually coming into God, coming to his salvation, knowing him it 's sometimes easier to see that when the numbers are small when it 's big because when it 's small, right every single person counts right you know when you when you started out in that Bible study and you only had like three or four people, one person comes in and goes, whoa, <laughs> you know, one other person. And then you do everything you can to make sure that everyone is genuine in their love. You know, everyone gets a chance to contribute in their Bible study. Everyone understands the gospel, that kind of thing. But when you're big, you know, when you're big and then, you know, another guy comes in and says, oh, wow, you come and join us. Come and go, makan. go Eat food. Sorry. And, and, you know, it just becomes an activity. But God adds to them, not just a number, God adds to them people who are being saved, souls who are being redeemed, you know, people who are being brought from death to life. And that kind of growth should always be symbolic of that growth in the kingdom. Okay, okay, I think I'm quite... Um, uh, that, that, that's all I have. Yeah, I'm quite tired out already. And so I'll end here. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this picture of your kingdom uh, in the book of Acts. It comes through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It uh, comes through the work of the Holy Spirit enabling us to speak your gospel. And it results in the growth of the church. People coming together reflecting that salvation, that kingdom that you've redeemed in Christ. So um, help us to keep this picture in in our hearts and in our minds as we maybe seek Uh, to grow um, our ministries, our churches, to do this in a way that really honors you, that is dependent upon your spirit, that that, that, that encourages us to speak the gospel clearly and boldly to others. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name.